Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and uh, we're just coming off our Entrepreneur Summit. It was a two-day summit that we did, and it took a bunch of time from us, and that's why we've been a little light on releasing some podcasts, but we're now back at it. That two days was really well-received. It was great. Uh, I think... If there's any possible way to both get energized and exhausted from an event, that's what happened to Nick and I. You know, we were pumped from doing that and working with everybody at that event. The the caliber of people there was amazing, um, and we were a little hesitant if we were going to even do it again. But um, just on the feedback on the second day, especially that we got from everyone, we decided, yeah, in 2019 we will host it again. So stay tuned. We are going to bring the Entrepreneur Summit back. Um, we actually had a bunch. Of people, I think, um, I think almost half the people who signed up for this year um, signed up again to come next year with no date, no topics, and no location announced. So, uh, you know, it really went over. We're thrilled about it, and uh, on to uh, to to more stuff. So, on this episode of the podcast, we talk about. Um, interest rates. We talk about the latest we're seeing from the Canadian banks. We talk about the global economy and we talk the latest about the cannabis legislation in Canada that's just coming into law as we as we record this right now. So we kind of cover the gamut on local stuff and global stuff and we're all over the place. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to come out and uh, meet us, talk to us about any real estate investing information, um, you can go to sign up to one of our classes to come out directly at this URL. CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. So if you go to CanadianRealEstateTraining.com, we host uh, once a month, about once a month. Uh, the summer we kind of slow down a little bit. We do have one in July though. Um, and uh, we cover the real estate um, investing strategies that we use here at Rockstar. You can save yourself a seat for that. Those do fill up. Um, so if you want to come out and chat with us, um, I think Nick might already be gone to Europe for that one. I'm still here though. So it'll be the last one before I'm taking off. I'm off to the Amalfi coast for some time and then, uh, out to Croatia for a few weeks. So gone for pretty much about a month. Um, but you can register for that and come out and chat with us about anything real estate related at Canadian real estate training.com. So, uh, with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about Nick's favorite topic, politics. So... uh, and, and, and cannabis. That's not your favorite topic, but I know that the well, not politics. Nothing. It's not really politics. It's it's. I think I'm. I think I'm permanently jaded from my time working in the government. Because you saw good money being spent wisely. Well, I think there was just there was a lot of frustrating moments. By I was like, why can't we just do this this way? Because it'll be done in ten minutes. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we we can't do it that. We got to get four signatures. Three departments have to get involved. We need to have a meeting about it. And then we can make the decisions or recommendations and then there'll be a decision made. And then maybe a month later it gets done. And I'm like, this is insane. Oh, and that's when you were there. How many years ago? Can you imagine how it is now with bigger government? I got really frustrated quick. 
but as and now this is the funniest thing so i think you first told me this and i just googled it up the government of ontario spent approximately six hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the branding of the no is that what, i thought it was 450 no 650 really yes oh my god six hundred and fifty thousand on the branding of the ontario cannabis store the OCS, and they came up with a logo that looks like you and I could have done it in Microsoft. It totally, Word. it totally freaked me out. So when I read that, the first this was this came out like months ago now, and they said it was the name and the logo. So they're like, so I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm like, so so they paid six fifty. I thought it was four fifty. I remember four fifty, but whatever. They paid six fifty to so sorry to be clear, six hundred and fifty thousand dollars because they could have got it for six hundred fifty. They're bucks. not saying it's just the logo. They're saying it's all the branding. That's okay. Well, all the branding, whatever. But basically, the and the name. So I'm like, how creative do you have to come be to come up with Ontario Cannabis Store? Because that's not like a super creative, there's no slogan or anything. OCS. Right? There's not much there. And if you look at the logo, you, you should Google you it up. Google it up. If you've ever heard of Fiverr online, that's where you can go and you get a bunch of people to do things. It used to be everything was five bucks. And people would do outrageous stuff and do designs for you and graphics and stuff. Now things go up to It's inflation, man. It's like Dollarama's not a dollar. Yeah. So, I mean... Someone at the government, whoever got that, I wish I got that contract. I would have, I would have undercut the 650, charged them 500 grand even, gone on Fiverr for 50 bucks, got a logo, probably looks better than what the, the one they had, and pocketed the other 499,950. Yeah, it's, it would have worked, it, worked out pretty good. And so they have the logo. Ontario has said they're going to come up with 40 stores apparently in the next little while, like almost imminently. And it's a subsidiary or it's like a sister company to the um, LCBO. And uh, by 2020, we're going to have 120 Ontario cannabis stores for recreational cannabis. And uh, it's passed. So as we're speaking here in mid-June, it's passed the Senate. So now it has to just get royal assent, which I think is like some lieutenant governor's type person in Canada. I don't even know. See how much I know about Canadian politics. Somebody signs off and gives it royal assent and then it becomes law or whatever. And that could be happening today as we're speaking right now. Um, And the the, the federal government has told the provinces that they get eight to 12 weeks to get the uh, their provincial regulations done. And last time I was talking to Kelly Hawks, the VP of Legal, Legal Services over at Veranova, she was saying that some provinces are going to clamp down. Like they're saying, if you're an investor and you're a landlord, you will have the right to say if cannabis or marijuana plants can be grown in your uh, rental dwellings or not. But most provinces are not going in that direction, and they're just allowing what the federal government has said, which is up to four plants are allowed. So here's so, but so here's, Ontario, we don't know yet. Yeah, but here's here's the long term problem with that, right? So here's my frustration with 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 the politics and the government and stuff because I I'm not really opposed to the I'm not going to take a position on the cannabis one way or the other. Some people says it has no impact on people. Some think it has a greater impact than something even like alcohol. I, I'll stay out of that whole thing. So let's say, but it's the way they've gone about it. Like just kind of the, without, you know, like just ramming it down to everyone's throat and without proper thought and kind of proper regulation around it. That's the stupid part. But it's weird. You know, sometimes we want the government to act quickly and get things done without having all these committees as like we were just talking about. Yeah, and now right. they've rammed something down and we're like, whoa, whoa, you went too fast. So I can kind of argue it both ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Except the, the types of things that I'm talking about doing was like rebooting a server. Right. Whereas and the types of things that they're talking about doing is like a wholesale whole change to the social fabric of the country yeah like it's a little bit different right so here and, and, and here's the problem with it and here's why because this is what what happened recently with the bill before it got passed for anyone that doesn't understand the way this stuff goes i'm no professional but this is kind of what i i understood was it went from like 
Parliament to the Senate. Right, so they're like, okay, guys, we want this 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 marijuana legislation passed. We pass it to the Senate. The Senate then reviews it, and they make suggested changes to the law. They, you know, they they're supposed to be there is some bipartisan there, but they're supposed to be bipartisan. They they look at it and they're like, we should make these changes, and we send it back to the the to Parliament to kind of you know approve these changes. So I went back to Parliament after the Senate argued on it for a while. Parliament said, you know what, we agree with the changes that basically made were like minor, didn't make any sense. One of the big ones they said they're like. They said they were going to allow provinces to determine whether or not people could grow um, marijuana at home, right? And the parliament basically was like, no, we don't like that. So they sent it back to the Senate and they said, approve it or we're just going to override you anyways. And so they were forced to approve it. So The Senate is a puppet organization. Yeah, so it was this useless thing. But but the logic that of, of why one of them spoke up to say why they were doing that, which made a lot of sense, was because Alberta and Quebec have already come out and said they're not going to allow it people to grow it in their homes, right? And... And now, federally, it's going to be allowed. So it's going to cause all these court challenges yeah, and all like this stuff. Yeah, like a Supreme stuff. Court battle. Yeah, so the same thing's going to happen. So no matter what Ontario determines or anyone else. The federal else, law will always the trump The federal it. law it may or may not until it works its way up the court system and goes through this stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, like, I don't know. Is it that important? Like, you could just decide now and yeah. kind of make this sense. So there's like all these things. They're like, well, we just got to get it done. We said we're going to get it done by the summer. We got to get it done. We got to get it done. So... We're we're already getting it done in a way where we know there's going to be all these court challenges accordingly because the provinces have come out and said, hey, we don't agree we'll see. with it this sounds like specific a chaos. portion of it. Right? And to make matters worse, I guess in Ontario, if it is allowed, I, I think a lot of landlords and investors are concerned, rightfully or wrongfully so. Sometimes I think this is overblown, but... Um, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, I pay for the utilities in my tenant's rental dwelling. Now, all of a sudden, there's four plants in there and there's water and hydro costs. And I guess it's a fair point. Like, you know, who pays for that? And there's going to be no way a landlord investor is going to prove to anyone that four plants increase their uh, hydro or electricity. But the only way to do that is to have like year over year comparisons that are perfectly objective. And the plants are the only difference to show to some adjudicator at the tenant yeah, board. So you're basically not going to win that argument. So you're just going to have to eat those costs. Um, I don't know. I You know what? I was just looking at the Ontario website and I don't know if you're allowed to grow four plants in multi-unit dwellings, like apartment buildings. I think you are. You um, have to be, it, but if that's there's the, that type of dwelling, they're waiting for the provincial regulation. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's the, undetermined. Well, it's not it, actually undetermined. Well, it actually according says, to federal law. Yeah, but on, on the Ontario website, it says you're allowed. I, I can pull it up. Right yeah, now. unless the condo allowed, unless, board has specific unless rules the against lease. it. Yeah, unless the lease or there's some bylaws. Yes, um, you're right. So the actual wording is um, where to use it. You will only be able to use. Oh, use it. Okay, it doesn't say grow it. Can use it, and it depends on the rules of your building or your lease agreement. And we already know that the tenant board, when it comes to smoking, will allow smoking if you're not interfe- interfering with the enjoyment of, mm-hmm. of another person's dwelling. Kelly had a great idea. She said, she goes, we should go around to all our properties and plant four plants on all the properties, and then the tenants can't start growing the plants there. They'll all be ours. Yeah, because the landlord, here it is, growing cannabis. You will be able to grow up to four plants per residence, not per person. That's all it says, per residence. Yeah, so, so I guess start, you're going to be able go to Go dig allow. a garden at your properties. No, but I mean in a buildings, I guess that means they're going to be allowed, just uh, like until, any other plant. Well, yeah, until the, now it depends what the province comes down the yeah. pipe. And that's what I mean. You know, and then, and then you know, I, I mean, I'm glad that they're forcing the provinces to move in 12 weeks on it. It, just, it doesn't take that much longer to figure it all out. But, you know, it's just... A little bit of communication would help. 
The other thing I just want to mention is that a lot of people will ask me, Nick, I don't know if you get it, like, hey, Tom, do you use this stuff? And I don't. I, like, I, ha- I went through like a two-year period in university where I don't know if I'm old guy or not, but uh, it was like weed and hash way back then. And then I just kind of went through that two-year experimental phase, what was uh, experimental, and I just kind of got off it. But I want to say something like um, I know a lot of, we both know, I won't mention names, but we both know some people who use a ton of of, uh, weed marijuana and are getting nowhere in their lives. And we know, I know several people who are super successful, Mm -hmm. like uber successful and uh, smoke regularly. So like if you're listening to this and if you're in your 20s and you're thinking that, you know, should I or shouldn't, I don't know. I haven't really seen an exact correlation with anyone's future success dictated on that i think that's like an old I mean, I generations kind of idea yeah but i mean i think it's like anything like look if you have a, a if, if you're addicted to anything where you have a yeah, regular okay, usage here. issue whether it's alcohol or marijuana where it's like you need to smoke a joint every day to yeah, feel yeah. like you're in a good place i mean i just from a health my position yeah, is yeah, yeah. from a health standpoint i don't think no, that type of saying. stuff is good with anything but i take it to but an I, extreme. I don't think we can associate that like i know a lot of really successful people no, financially no. who drink multiple glasses of alcohol yeah. every day yeah i'm talking just from a health standpoint yeah okay yeah yeah no you people can you can push through anything like if your if your willpower is just higher than anything else even when you're that type of person that it you know it obviously impacts you and it drags you down i mean you know it's just it, it, it it's it's like it causes physical changes in you then you can push through that stuff yeah yeah also i think i i clearly must have some form of ocd because i'll just overanalyze everything i do like i'm to the point now with co- i went off coffee so i went all in remember when i went all in on the bulletproof coffee yeah i remember for two and a half years two cups i i started with eight tablespoons of butter which was way too high but i enjoyed it for many months at eight i remember and i'm like you know tom that might be a bit much you're like you know what it's not no nick is not doing anything to me it's fine it's totally fine <laughs> basically just tell me like shut up and go away right and then um, and then you got your adrenal brother well that's how you yeah then yeah. i burnt out my adrenal but i don't think it was due to the caffeine or anything. I just think that didn't help it. There was a whole bunch of fact now that I've learned it wasn't purely the coffee that did that, but it certainly wasn't helping either. Um, and then I went all off coffee altogether for like a year. And now I'm back on this thing where I have coffee one day and I'm off it the next day because this is doc. When we were talking to Dr. Cowan and he was telling me, Hey Tom, if you have it for 28, if you have caffeine or coffee, sorry, coffee, 20 days straight, your body builds up this tolerance to it and the effectiveness of it after 28 days decreases. But if you go one day on one day off, you kind of stay fresh with it and it's much better on your adrenal glands and the whole bit. So that's kind of where I'm at. So Except some of- days I totally cheat on that too. Cause I'll do like, I'll realize, Oh my God, I didn't have coffee. So I got to point something days. else out though, because and then I'll, I'll have coffee for two days in a row. Okay. But I just want to point out that like, in the past, I also said anything. So I, I'm the other extreme because I don't do and like at my green drink that I really enjoy in the morning. I won't even take that every day. So like I don't think that you know you need to do anything every day. Just if you're you become like it's so but you don't have OCD. It's like so ingrained in your habits. You don't have that. Okay. You don't I, have but that. what I want the point that I want to share <laughs> is that. I also shared that with you as well. And until you hear it from someone else, it's never a good idea. Yeah, but you're my younger me. brother. You have to accept that that's how I kind of sort of sift and sort through information. No, I now now that I've tested enough stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, I look back and Nick was right on a lot of stuff. So now I'll, I'll defer to you on a lot of fitness stuff and eating kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you'll ignore me. It'll take you less time to listen to me now. It won't, yeah. be, it won't be years. I won't listen to you right away no. though. I had to figure some stuff out for myself. Okay. Hold on. Marijuana stuff. So for investors, the big thing that we, I guess we got to know for marijuana is that, that 
the, the big thing is that you, we still need, if you're in Ontario and, and pretty much anywhere else, you need to wait for the final provincial laws to come down to see how it's going to impact you. So they've given deadlines of 12 weeks. It might be sooner. It might be longer. Who the heck when knows? That, and, and, and when that happens, we're going to do a podcast. We'll bring Kelly Hawks on the phone to get the legal perspective. And yeah, we'll cover all that. But yeah, yeah, that's okay. where we're at. But that's the big thing. So it you sounds still like want eight it. to twelve weeks. So what are we mid June? So basically, by end of summer, September ish, two thousand eighteen, we're going to have some definitive answers. Yeah, you can't make any changes to your lease according to it right now. All these types of things, unless both parties agree. There's basically There's all nothing sorts of stuff. to do right now. There's no 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 panic. And I have a had. feeling with whatever we see, a lot of it is going to be left up to. Uh, the interpretation of the tenant board in Ontario, because I bet what's going to happen is some of the rules are going to be vague. And until someone challenges it at the tenant board, there'll be no rulings to really kind of have some stuff to work off of, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be very clear and very definitive, but we'll see how, how that goes. If you're a landlord, I mean, like it remains to be seen, but as an investor, if you're a landlord in Ontario with these changes coming down the pipe, you're probably happy, at least in this aspect, that Doug Ford got in because out of the three parties, he's That's true. probably willing he's to probably clamp down listen the most. To landlords the most on that. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. so it might not be as that's bad, true. right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see, uh, we'll see how it Just goes. Think of the tax revenues they're going to make off this. Well, that's the only reason they're doing it. That's the other reason. Like I, I wish, I don't that- know. I think Justin Trudeau might be doing it as this weird legacy thing for him. I can't see him being fiscally responsible and thinking I'm going to increase Canada's tax revenues and I'm going to do this because you're right. I could agree with it if it was that. I just think when I look at Justin Trudeau, I think this guy wants to go down as the guy who legalized marijuana. Uh, Maybe. I just think to me, like the only reason, like I just wish they came out and said that uh, even if it's not a lot of money, even if it's not that the only reason that it's one of the primary driving factors of why they're doing it, you know, say, hey, look, guys. You know, we're going to legalize marijuana. Here's why. You know, there's this underground market that we're going to try to get rid of. Also, it's going to give us this huge tax base that we get to now cash in because we're in all this debt. Like, just kind of imagine they just imagine you really wanted to throw the world upside down and you announced, yes, we're opening up the Ontario cannabis stores and we accept Bitcoin. Can you imagine imagine. (laughs) imagine that? And then for the record, since I just mentioned that, the reason the Ontario government or the the Bank of Canada and the Canada's worried about cryptocurrencies is because it is a legitimate threat to currencies. But uh, the Ontario cannabis store will never accept Bitcoin because it's not legal tender and the Canadian dollar is and we pay taxes in the Canadian dollar and that's how that's going to be. Definitively, end of story, government will never accept that. Mark my words on that. I'm willing to go down... On record, not saying that any cryptocurrency is not better than the Canadian dollar. Many, many could be, but the government's never going to accept your Bitcoin for their cannabis. No, I never need, thought I'd need, say that sentence. Need control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, what about? Um, okay, speaking of investor stuff, other stuff that's impacting investors right now. Um, mortgage stuff. Uh, we've seen some recent mortgage changes. Yeah, so both kind of like tightening and loosening at the same time. Kind of weird stuff. It's weird. I think every summer, um, if you're not familiar with this, every summer the banks um, go on a promotional spree to try to drive up some mortgage business. And the latest stuff we've seen is, I think it's the Bank of Canada. It's been back and forth a little bit, but sorry, Bank of Montreal that recently said for their five-year fixed rate, don't hold us to any of this because it's changing so fast that when you hear this, it might be different, okay? Um, but Bank of Montreal, said that we're going to do a five-year fixed rate at 3.19 while the other big banks were at like 3.75 for a five-year fixed variable rate uh, sorry fixed rate um, which is a big difference so i think this week some of the other banks were going to follow suit so we'll see that's big 
um, when the fix that's a big spread from the Bank of Montreal. Well, not even um, that. If the variables prime minus a point, RBC, it was a point, and then it was point, point nine, nine for some other banks. Yeah, well, so some of them went up to a point. point believe, so yeah. you could get a point nine. That would make your variable rate two point five five. So two point so yeah, five. So, the, so so even though like you know mortgage rates have gone up in some ways because of these discounts offered, they've not haven't really moved. And and the reason for this is that the banks still need to grow their balance sheet because they need to show profits to people. And their number one profit center, I mean, I don't know if it's number one uh, officially because I don't have the numbers. But, but just, it's up there. It's it's way up there is their mortgages. So they need the mortgage growth. And we've seen some other banks come out and change their qualifying standards for like, so to give you an example, if they were looking at taking, if you're qualifying for multiple properties. Yeah, and, I think and, this is CIBC. Yeah, and they were going to take your uh, rental income. They were going to change... Uh, instead of taking a, a lower percentage of rental income, they were going to increase the percentage of rental income they changed, right? So if they were taking 50%, they might take 80% now is kind of what we were hearing. So that makes a difference too. And they were going to allow some funds to come from your RSPs where they weren't allowed allowing it before for some investors. So some of your liquid funds to be able to qualify for mortgage. So they're, so they're kind of loosening things up a little bit in an attempt to be able to qualify people for more mortgages even though less people are able to qualify now because of the mortgage stress test and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, because you have to qualify at the posted yeah. rate. So even if you get 3.19 for your five-year rate, you're qualifying at like two percentage points higher than that, um, which is causing a weird thing in the real estate market right now, whereas some of the higher-end properties aren't seeing much activity because people are finding it harder to qualify, obviously. And uh, some of the more quote-unquote starter homes are seeing, we're seeing multiple offers. On some of those properties, kind of unlike some of the target oh, yeah, investor many, markets, many. and, and so rentals. Kind of, I mean, rentals in some areas you're seeing. Multi, uh, you, look, if you have a good rental property right now, it to find to get tenant demand and a decent rental property in you know any reasonably populated area in southern Ontario is is not hard at all. Well, like, and there's uh, a lot of yeah. Demand. So somebody here at Rockstar has a fourplex in Oakville that they were getting, I think, for their two bedroom. Um, like twelve hundred bucks, not that long ago, they just rented it out for eighteen fifty. Mm -hmm. Eighteen fifty for a two bedroom, in a fourplex. I mean, that's what we used to rent out straight homes in Oakville for. Um, and then someone else was it? I think it's a townhome in Burlington. What didn't didn't that investor we're working with? I don't want to share his name without him getting getting permission. But didn't he get like twenty six fifty? a month in rent with like 18 people lined up at the door and six months paid in advance. Have, Mike was telling me. I have no okay, so Mike maybe was I don't know which one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's someone it's 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 someone you know that we've worked with for a long time. Um the uh, tenants long-time tenants left, he re-rented it out, had like tons of demand in Burlington. Um was renting it out before I think for like 18 or $1900. Anyway, now they're in, he's got 2650 approximately with six months paid in advance. No, I mean, I mean, we've heard. I might be of off. I might be off fifty bucks, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm, but we I'm pretty we close. got one sent to us a little while ago. This one was in St. Catharines, where there was a lineup of people on the ice storm. So they had seventy five. Yep. They had a ten or twelve appointments booked, and and during the ice storm in April, seventy five percent of those people showed up during the the ice yeah, storm. Yeah, and, like and that's the demand. That's kind of the weird thing with real estate is the headlines are going to say, "Hey, property prices are coming down on average in Canada." The people who own properties are getting more rent than they've ever received before. And once again, if you own hard assets, you win. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, in this is where the money game is lost by most people. Because if you follow the headlines, it's going to look like the real estate market is, you know, coming down. And so people will laugh saying, ah, I told you the real estate market's coming down. Meanwhile, all the people who've owned hard assets for the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, 
have tons of appreciation, tons of equity, and they're getting more rent than they've ever received before. So if you've owned properties for 10 years, your mortgage is paid down, and now your cash flow is stronger because you're re-renting out higher than you've ever rented out before. But the headlines will tell everybody who's been on the fence, don't do it because look, real estate coming down. That's why the money game is so lost when yeah, you listen because, to the well, media. Yeah, because right now, is, so I think it's a couple of reasons. One is on TV, anything that's projected about investing in real estate is about flipping properties, so buying and selling them, right? And then, so then people just think about buying low and selling high. And they're always thinking about like, like generating income for themselves. So they're looking for quick cash. Whereas the successful investors, they're not in it for the quick cash. They're in it for the long-term equity. They're looking to... Oh, like, yeah, you're you know, using the income to survive, but you're in it for the long-term. Yeah, well, not to survive you personally. You still have another no, no, source sorry, of income. No, no, not personally. Business, to survive job, with, with the property, I mean. So totally. the income of the property yeah, pays for but, itself. But the idea is to own, you know, we've talked about this all the time, is, is to own a, a, a assets underneath you, to have this asset base that supports your life. That's what people miss out. Like the people that, you know, they're like, oh, I see, I told you about this real estate market and stuff. I'm like... Who cares? Like who cares? It hasn't. It, it, it's barely budged in in most areas. Like depending on the asset class and stuff like that. But it's been a small budge, right? But if like, if you look at it over the two or three years, even two or three years, it's 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 up, it's up. I, and I, I don't know. And I, I you can't you know to, to our point. You I can't say that about every area, every type of property in every area. So some areas might not. But the vast majority of the ones, the one the areas that we play in and the types of properties we play in are. All yeah, over three over years, time. probably everything's still yeah. up. Actually, now right. if you look at if you look at everything over twenty years, you know, so like when we buy a property, we're looking at buying. Like I'm literally buying a property, and thinking, okay, I'm going to kind of hold on to this thing for ten years, and I'll revisit it. So look, if I bought it today, and the the value of it went down tomorrow or next year, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not like, yeah, the value went down. I'm so excited, but I'm not worried about it because. The property's paying for itself, and then I'm just going to worry about it in 10 years. And in 10 years, if you look at any 10-year chunk, and if you look at what's been happening in this area and all that stuff, I'm not overly worried about it. Even like all these doomsdayers are like, yeah, the market's... I mean, look what happened in the U.S. in 2008. A lot of areas, the market got completely hammered, right? 10 years later, a lot of areas, it's not looking so bad. Yeah, the so average bad. is right back. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, it's, it's on, not the, on the flip side of that, I think that's why we always say be short-term paranoid, long-term positive on real estate because if you are flipping or if you're going to buy and you think you might need to leave the market in the short term, you could lose money in totally. real estate. Totally, yeah, yeah. And that's why even when we do, we do rent-to-owns at like, remember when we were doing rent-to-owns on a two-year lease? Even on those properties. Yeah, it got which tight we, sometimes. If they bought in one year, yeah, they got tight. But yeah, and what I was going to say is we always bought those properties and we would ask ourselves, would we own this property for 10 years? So let's assume the tenant buyer from a rent-to-own does not buy us out. Would we be comfortable owning this property for the next 10 years and surviving with it? And if the answer was no, we never proceeded. Like we always, even on shorter term things, we always took this longer term view. And I think, and it's funny, do you remember that guy? And I'm sure we've shared the story on the podcast before. That guy, when we first started in helping investors back in 2006, he pulled up in a rusted minivan in jeans and a baseball cap from Richmond Hill. And he came in and he said, I've been checking you guys out. What are you guys doing? Why would you buy and sell properties? And he shared his story. I don't remember him. I remember the, the story because you met with yeah, him. Yeah, he, he owned something him. like... 20 properties or something maybe it was maybe it was 12 he's just like i would just never sell them yeah at that time in 2006 we worked it out that he had owned five to six million dollars of rental properties free and clear 
that was back then and property prices have gone up just a little bit in the last 10 years but anyway five and six million and then he had bought them in the 1980s and people told him to sell in 1989 90 because of the stock market crash around that time and the recession in Canada in the 1990s. Then people told him to sell during the tech crash. Then people told him to sell during the, the right at that financial crisis was kind of brewing. He was saying, hey, I am at the peak, peak of the market. He never sold through all those things. I'm sure he sold through the financial crisis, uh, kept, I meant, through the financial crisis. But think about that guy. He just held properties, never sold them. People told him to sell. And he was collecting um, I think that's what it was. I think it was like 12 properties and like $21,000 a month in uh, free and clear cash flow from his portfolio. Yeah, that's Can huge. you imagine? Yeah. Back then. So I, I butchered his the numbers on that story pretty good, but it was roughly something like that. <laughs> like that. But uh, yeah, long term is kind yeah, of the way I to go. I think the key is, and I guess every time we talk about this, I feel like we have to say this as well because... You know, because I see a lot, some of the comments, I mean, I see on one of our Facebook ads, there's big debates going on about, you know, well, what about this and what about that? And it just kind of causes me to laugh some of the comments. But um, I, I, the key is that we're not tied to real estate. Like it's it's anything that it, someone, it's a self-liquidating asset that carries itself, covers its own expenses that someone else is going to pay off. There is some maintenance involved and stuff like that, right? But someone else will pay off and then there's, you know, so if there's no appreciation, there's still this, someone buys the asset for you. So, you know, it's it's like anything else. If you could have those types of things where, where you know, if you can invest in fine art and every month someone, you loan it to someone to rent and to, to sit, put in their house and they're paying off that piece of that asset for you and then it's still going to be worth the price you paid for it 10 years from now, it looks pretty good. It doesn't have to be real estate, right? Yeah, totally. It's that, a vehicle. That's, that's why that's why your gold sucks because it doesn't spit off any cash flow. Yeah, and that's why um, people like to make fun of my gold for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay, so there's that, and then the other thing I wanted to talk hey, about. The latest thing, sorry, uh, just on, on that, just around banks, is, the, and this seems you know seems crazy because interest rates. There's a little bit more pressure because of these trade wars that are starting, which is truly what it is. Which. I got to give Jim Rickards credit because we've talked about Jim Rickards before and and his, you know, he's been a good economist uh, that we've got some value from. He called this in his book. Um, currency wars. Currency probably. wars. Yeah, like that was the first one. Yeah, back. He called this was the next stage yeah. of the currency wars. And it's 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 happening. And he actually says trade wars ultimately lead to real wars. Real wars. Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting. That's to see. scary. But um but yeah, that's ultimately what's happening with these tariffs that are coming on. So they're saying there's more pressure on the Bank of Canada to no longer raise interest rates, which, which I don't know if they can do it much longer or not, because the Canadian dollar is getting just Hammer. decimated. I bought, so, so for our trip this summer, I got some euros yesterday at the bank. One, I got I got apparently a really good rate, 1.59, and they said a, a last week it was 1.67. 1. 1.67 because we buy euros every year, and I think that would be the, the ultimate the, highest we've the, ever seen. It. I think so. That's 1.67 is the highest we've seen in the last. I guess what for the last ten, 10 years, years or so we've yeah, been buying yeah. euros because we got it as low as one two one. Yeah, which is crazy. When we bought um, that place in Croatia, that's what we were transferring the money over and doing the exchange at. So yeah, that, we that's kind of worked out well. So for even us. if that property has not gone up, it's gone up in Canadian dollars yeah <laughs> if it's not going up in euros yeah. but uh won't, won't buy us but then even american i think i had to get some american dollars for my son he's going to a soccer tournament in the states and i i think i paid 1.36 i want to think which felt pretty nasty yeah um, that sounds nasty i remember when i went to disney in uh, earlier this year and when the exchange came back some of the stuff on my visa 
I, I was I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked by it. I was like, and I know Visa is not giving you the best exchange, anyways. And they add two percent for yeah, the yeah. foreign foreign currency. Yeah, Visa is never conversion. a good gauge. So, yeah. but uh, but yeah, they got me good on that one. They yeah. got me good on that one. For All sure. those savings that you got at the factory outlets were just gobbled up by Visa. Just, I wonder what I get my points on. Do I get my points on the U.S. dollar amount or the Canadian dollar amount? Yeah, you get your points on the. It must be the Canadian must be the Canadian dollar. Yeah. Um, so something else ca- has come up about interest rates is the Fed just raised rates and they said so. The beginning of this year, if you don't know, the Fed said after every meeting where they have a press conference, they're raising rates. And those meetings they have press press conferences are March, June, September, and December. And with 100% certainty, the market thought they were going to raise rates four times this year. So they gone, they went ahead and raised rates uh, in March and now in June. Um, and they said definitively they're raising rates in September and uh, December. I don't know if they're going to actually be able to raise rates in September. This is going to be fascinating to see because the market seems to be already wobbling with these last two rate increases. But Nick, to your point, the Bank of Canada is going to, I think they meet next in early July. They're going to have to raise rates because the Canadian numbers are looking good. The Fed just raised rates. So we're staring at another uh, Bank of Canada increase in July, I assume, unless something else happens between today and early July, where the bank has some narrative that they can spin on why they don't want to raise rates. So that's what Canada's looking at. But the reason that I'm kind of like hesitant on on seeing if the the Fed can continue this pace of rate increase is simply math. And I was talking to a good friend of ours about this, and uh, he, I was just saying, hey, look, the, it, this is pretty simple. The When we started tracking the federal debt um, during the financial crisis, the federal debt was at like... Um, eight, nine trillion dollars. That was at like 2008, 2009-ish. Um, it is now at $21 trillion of debt. And uh, he was traveling in the US and he mentioned to this to some US executive down there and the US executive's response was like, well, what are you talking about? We don't have that much debt down here. You know, it's one time our GDP. So the amount of debt in the U.S. is equal to the amount of of economic output that the U.S. economy does in one year. So everybody's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Now, the first thing on that is it is a pretty big deal because there are um, university studies that have said that when an economy's debt gets to 100% of GDP, every new dollar of debt put into the economy doesn't result in a dollar of economic output. You get a lower and lower return, meaning if you put in your new dollar of debt into the economy, you only you get a less than dollar return. So that is not sustaining in and of itself. But then in a more, more simpler terms, if you have $21 trillion in debt and you raise interest rates this year, 1% in the States, which is what they're on the path to do, 1% on $21 trillion is what? 10% is 2.1 trillion. 1% is 210 billion. Now think about that for a second. $210 billion is a 1% increase. So if they raised interest rates 1%, they would have an extra $210 billion in interest rate payments on $21 trillion in debt. Simple math, unless I'm losing it here. Now, their deficit right now is about $700 billion. So think about it. Every 1% increase in interest rates is now going to increase their annual deficit, so the difference between their tax revenues and how much they spend, by about 30%. What? That's a 1% raise in interest rates increases their annual deficit 30%. And so now, if you raise it 3% over the next three years, if that's the path that the US Fed is on and then what they said they're on, their 
doubling their annual deficit with just their interest rate moves and nothing else. So my question is, what happens if there's a natural next economic recession that comes up, which is pretty normal? Like, I'm not a, a doomsday, I just mean a recession might come. What happens when that recession hits? Because usually what the government does in that time is do econo economic stimulus. So if they raise interest rates 3% over the next three years and it doubles their deficit, what are they going to do if they spend more money during an economic recession? Like the math doesn't just add up and then it gets worse because if the 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 annual debt is, uh, sorry, the, the total U.S. Um, debt is $20 trillion, if you go to the U.S. Treasury, their annual report on like, it's like page 63, two years ago, I think it's page 68 right now, but in their annual report on the, from the U.S. Treasury's own website says that they have a deficit in Social Security, so like their Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security of $46 trillion known today. So if you take $21 trillion and you add it to $46 trillion, now we're talking about $67 trillion in debt that they have like, they've made all these obligations that they're going to pay people these Social Security payments, but they have no money in the bank for this. And I think, Nick, wasn't there a headline just this month that they went negative this month on Social Security? I saw that. I think, I, I don't know if I saw that. Three months, three months ahead of schedule. Three months ahead of schedule. They actually have gone negative before, but they're back negative three months ahead of when they were forecasting it. So now you have $67 trillion that I can easily document myself, just pulling up a PDF off their website. And a lot of the mainstream economists can easily add in another $40 trillion. So now the argument seems to be between economists, do we have $100 trillion in debt or is it actually like $200 trillion if you take all these other things into account? So like how much debt is there? And I don't even care about all that. Like I don't even care if they're right or wrong. I just know there's a lot of debt. So in my mind, if I'm thinking about winning the money game for myself and my family, my mind automatically goes to, oh, okay, a lot of debt, no plan to pay it off because no government ever pays off any debt. They're, so they, they're just going to have to keep interest rates low. And in an interest rate environment, in a rate environment that is low, it means hard assets like real estate are likely going to do well. Like that's my whole analysis. That's how I boil it down to. I'm like, oh, a lot of debt, interest rates really can't go up that much because it's gonna, they're going to be screwed. And as a result, hard assets are going to go up. The only time I can see an exception to that is if inflation takes off, which it looks like it might, and prices of things, the, the money gets into the economy rather quickly and prices start to increase. Inflation might take off and maybe they'll be able to raise interest rates, but likely if inflation is going fast and prices are growing at like six or 7% and they raise interest rates to three or 4%, you're still, inflation is still ahead of where the interest rates are and hard assets are still going to do well in that environment. So, and my opinion, of course. So I'm like, I don't know. A lot of debt, low know. rates. TSX hit an all-time high today. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's it just seems like how, where does this go? That's the weird thing about it. It's not. It's not a real estate. It, it's just to me. It's not even a real estate conversation. It, it's it's an economy conversation. Yeah, it's just a money. Con yeah, like, like how much are they going to? What are they going to keep doing to prop up this economy? Like, you know, with all the markets continuing to increase and real estate continuing to increase and all these asset classes. Like it's just it's just at no it's, other it, time it, in history has this happened because it's not one, it's speed. one or the other because one yeah. will go down while the other goes up and the money moves from one asset class to another and it creates then that asset class moves too quick creates a little bit of a bubble that comes back down to a normal a normal level goes back into other asset classes and the cycles repeat themselves all over again whereas this time all this money has just gone in everywhere I, I forget what I was um I was reading so what they've printed I think it was between the Fed and and the uh, European Central Bank about what eight trillion. 
right? Was it eight eight trillion? Yeah, it could be something, something like that. About, something about yeah, something. Yeah, Fed's so, like three or four trillion. So or something whatever. like that. So let, let's let's just say and since that time, since that that all started when I guess it was what end of two thousand seven, two thousand eight is when that what then that started, right? So roughly about ten years. There's been about two trillion dollars in growth, right? So it's like eight they've printed eight point one, there's been two point something in growth. So there's basically a delta of about six trillion dollars. And the question is like, where has this six trillion dollars gone. gone? But then if you look we at know where it's gone. Well, if yeah. you look at all the asset classes, and I'm not just talking up. I'm not talking real estate, I'm taking st- stocks, everything. Yeah. That's where, where it went. It is. Yeah, so, yeah. so it didn't make it out into the economy. No, into so, anyone's income or paycheck. So ten years ago, anyone that had assets, and I'm not even talking hard assets, because even if they owned other assets, you know, if, if you look at a stock as a, as an asset, depending on the stock and things like that, anyone that owned some assets is further ahead. They got part of that six trillion dollars. Anyone that didn't own assets didn't get part of that six trillion dollars, and they're further behind. And that's what we were talking that's about. That's the ripoff. That's that's, that's the, the ultimate ripoff that's the, to me. That's the destruction of the middle yeah. class. That's what they, in the last yeah, 10 years, we teach we've all our young it. people to go to university, get a good job. Instead, it should be go to university, get a good job and get good hard assets as soon as possible. 18 when you're yes. legally allowed to start buying some crap. I know. Go, find good ones. I know. And then buy whatever that man. crap is. Yeah. Right, because the, because in that in the last ten years we've seen that gap between or the percentage of people that have been able to keep up and fall behind the gap is growing less and less people are able to keep up because totally. if, if you don't own assets to get them now is a whole heck of a lot harder right incomes you know one of the comments on on our because because of the image we use. Um, one guy's like, oh, this image doesn't make sense because we have an image where we map where we map um, uh, uh, incomes to Against to house prices, prices, right? And the income growth is very slow. And the guy's like, oh, this does, this doesn't make this chart doesn't make any sense. Yeah, cause because my income uh, went up. my paycheck's gone up. But what he doesn't realize is yep. we've property we've prices has gone so much faster, and we use actual Canadian census data yeah, yeah. to map them a- across it. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the chart, it, the incomes look fa- flat. Compared to property prices, because totally. property prices are just skyrocketing. Yeah. yeah. So it's um. Yeah. It, it it's it it's kind of and things it, it get, can kind of really piss you off really oh, when you think about it. I because just get people pissed, are getting screwed because I want the best for everyone, especially Canadians. I think it's such a great country and we have such a good middle class here. Then I feel like when it's getting hollowed out in front of my eyes, I get frustrated. Yeah. Um. So the other thing I just wanted to mention that I just find fascinating is how um China plays into all this at the bigger scale. So. If you don't follow this, the Chinese own a lot of U.S. treasuries and a lot of people will say, well, guys, like, you know, that's kind of like America's ace because they're not going to devalue their currency when uh, China holds a lot of the U.S. treasuries because China is going to make them keep their currency of a strong value and uh, China will kind of like threaten to sell all their most, U.S. Most treasuries. Most people, I mean, this is all valid and worthwhile. Most people aren't thinking like that, though. That's like a beyond the average conversation Listen, people are having. About these things. No, it's, it's worth, no, it's good. It's good. I'm just saying the majority of people. Okay, like, so the U.S., China owns a whole bunch of U.S. treasuries and a lot of people in the, uh, I guess, economic circles have said, ah, that's probably like a good thing because, you know, they can't, dump them on the market themselves because that would just decrease the value of them as they were selling them because they have so much. Yeah, if they but, dump them all, the value of them yeah, would, would drop would and drop they'd kind of be shooting themselves in the in foot. Because, you know, if you have $3 trillion worth, which is what they have, you can't dump them all in one day. It would take some time. So if they sold the first trillion dollars off, the rest would be worth like a fraction of the, what they were worth when you started the process. But China's doing this awesome thing that I have to kind of like just discuss a little bit. China has basically said to the rest of the world, hey, anyone out there want to uh, allow us to buy commodities 
commodities like oil and we are using our currency instead of the um, American dollar. And this is uh, the headlines that came into play a few months ago about the Petro One. And uh, a few countries, notably uh, countries U.S. doesn't seem to get along with, Russia and Iran said, yeah. So Russia has been buying oil, um, sorry, selling oil, accepting the Chinese currency and not U.S. dollars for some of its sales to China. And the best part about this is, is Russia doesn't want to hold the Chinese currency. The Chinese currency doesn't have a big credit market. It's not a liquid reserve currency like the U.S. dollar is. So China did the most brilliant thing and said, hey, you know what? We're opening up our Shanghai Gold Exchange, which used to just be a gold exchange that allowed for the exchange of gold within the country of China. But we're now opening it up to allow people to uh, take the gold out of our country. And when they did that, they basically allowed countries like Russia to say, okay, we will sell our oil for your Chinese yuan currency. Then we will take the, the currency that we have from you, the Chinese yuan. And I never know if I'm saying that right. Yuan? Uh, I'm not sure. Yuan. Yeah. Um, Y-U-A-N um, currency. And we will exchange it on the Shanghai Gold Exchange for gold. And then we get to basically take the gold out of the Shanghai Gold Exchange and um, take it into our country. So they're basically selling oil for gold. China wins. It's not using U.S. dollars to buy oil. It's, it's circumventing the U.S. dollar system. Russia wins because it just hates America and loves doing this kind of stuff. They win. And the best part is China's not even selling any of their own gold because all of mainland China's gold that it mines and holds is not allowed to leave the country of China. The Shanghai Gold Exchange is using gold coming from like the vaults in, in London and New York. So basically, they're just emptying the vaults of the rest of the world while they're selling off their the Chinese currency and they're keeping all their own gold. This is like the most brilliant thing where China and Russia can now start exchanging uh, oil for the Chinese currency. Russia's happy because it ultimately gets gold and can park it away. China's happy because it can use its currency to buy the oil. Like this is like mind blowing to me. So that China can circumvent the whole US treasury market, US dollar stuff and operate on this whole other platform. And not, this has not taken over the product, you know, all the oil trading in the world is not being done in this mechanism. But just the fact that some of it is and they're bypassing the US dollar to do it um, is fascinating to me. Because the U.S. dollar has been used to buy oil ever since Nixon sent his envoy in 1971 or whatever to Saudi Arabia and said, hey, we're going to be pricing oil. We'll defend you if you price oil in the U.S. dollar. Well, one of the first things the U.S. does now to a country that they don't like is they slap economic sanctions on them. And what part of that those economic sanctions yeah. are often that they can't use the SWIFT system, which is a system to trade international money trade goods yeah. internationally essentially right so via us dollar so if they but now if there's this you know other system they have this workaround around it it removes a big source of of a power big threat from the the, the us so yeah, this is so these tariffs when i see the us putting on these tariffs and trump is beating the like hey it's not been fair you know whole thing i'm like oh, is there a little bit more to this story than meets the eye which in politics i'm, I'm sure there is sure but yeah. and i'm sure some of it is 
just straight up like you've been taking you've been manufacturing everything and we've been buying everything it hasn't been a fair exchange so there's some of just the the obvious in that too but just kind of like fascinating times from an economic point of view like right down to like BMO and Royal Bank dropping rates to like China selling uh, China selling allowing gold to come out of their vaults in exchange for oil essentially so the whole economy is like at this fascinating state so when the bank of canada meets in early july it'll be like fascinating to watch do we raise rates i think their hands are tied and they have to the most interesting meeting isn't going to be that one to me it's as if the fed raises rates again in september because it, if it raises rates again in september that's going to be you know th then we're three quarters three quarters of a point in for this year yeah then they're raising rates into economic weakness too right so they, they know it but but still i mean what people need to remember too is in the grand scheme of things Rates are still very, very. Even if they raise them two yeah, more times, they're low. very, yeah, very yeah. low still. Like it's you're looking at cheap money, and there's still a lot of opportunity to borrow money at a certain percentage and earn more than that percentage on your money if you're in a position where you can get access to those funds. There's still a lot of opportunity available, right? Yeah, and I think we're just blessed because uh, what you know, I was just talking about this to someone the other day. Is like whether like what other market like we're so fortunate that you and I always sit here and talk on the, on this podcast and with investors all the time of like, hey, where do you want to invest? Like, you can pick St. Catharines or you can pick Oshawa. Do you want Peterborough student rental in Peterborough? Do you like Barry? You want a duplex in Barry? I know people going out to King, Ottawa. Like, I yeah. mean, well, we know people who have rental properties in Belleville. Yeah, right. So like where do you want where what other really area in north america can you have such a discussion that's yeah. like what area would you like and you kind of debate the pros and cons and like i was telling this one guy i'm like just pick man like just pick you know he lives in milton milton thinks milton. thinks durham sorry milton milton <laughs> and thinks durham is the best and i'm like dude i don't know man you're just splitting hairs just pick an area and go for it especially uh, if you haven't started Especially then, if you then you're then you're overanalyzing. Yeah. If you have a few and you're trying to figure out, okay, I want to really make a dent someplace and 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 buy a bunch in one area or something, that's different. But if you haven't started, yeah, you've just got to get your feet wet, man. And it's the crazy. winds in your kind of the the wind is in your sails. Is that the right saying? When you when you have it's momentum? not a saying I use, no? but it sounds like what I've heard. Is that yeah. like humble pie? <laughs> yeah. Um, when uh, when uh, immigration. You know, when we just have that constant kind of immigration into here, I just think we're still kind of blessed with that whole thing. So. Anyway, I mean, we can go on and on about that kind of stuff. But there, we covered cannabis. We talked about the market, uh, the mortgage, kind of the latest stuff that we're seeing. Um, appraisals seem really a little bit conservative. Like when we see appraisers going out on behalf of banks, they're being a little tentative and conservative in the market yeah, right now. Yeah, and what's crazy is the wild swing. It's not just that they're being conservative. There's wild swing. Like we're seeing things come back, you know, with $100,000 differences from two different appraisals. You Which know, makes I, me I like think they're just nervous. I like a $900,000 price point. Someone will come back at nine. Someone will come back at a million, right? Or eight or nine. Like, it's just big, and, wild. And when we see that, just for context, when we see that to us, that means there's a message being said to some of these appraisals from the bank saying, hey, you know, you guys better be pretty conservative right now because we haven't seen that for like the past 10 years when appraisers are so different on their valuations. Which means the banks to us are saying, hey, guys, be conservative. Don't screw us up on your appraisals well, and they, we have not been told want, that obviously but if you read between no, the lines that seems pretty obvious for sure and they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them right because they that's like you know if you're on a bank's approved list that's a big deal as an appraiser because you get those calls from that bank so if you're on td's approved list of appraisers where the td mortgage reps can call you 
that's a that could be a potential big source of business for you compared to someone that's not. So it yeah, makes yeah. it makes a difference. So yeah, they and they got to listen to them, right? It's an interesting. It, it, it's really if you look deep into the mortgage market in you know in Canada, really, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. It's it's just not as there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, whether it's with, you know, underwriter stuff happening for different people. There's this type, you know, different kind of not officially rules, but there's exceptions being made. Um, when the banks are talking to the appraisers, it's, there's certain things going on. There's just a lot of different stuff going on. Well, in that, and then when world. you kind of hear between the lines that the reason they're being so aggressive on the variable rate right now is to get the Canadian consumer in because they know once they get them in, they'll probably freak out the next time rates increase and then people will switch from a variable rate to a locked in fixed rate and they'll lock in at a higher rate than they would have got today. So like they take a little bit of hit offering a really low incentive right now to get in and then they know the Canadian guy or girl is going to like lock in and and uh, they get their money that way. So I just think ah, when you hear that kind of stuff, you're like, geez, you know, everyone talks a big game. The Canadian bankers get up there and talk about like, hey, they got to be careful and we're doing all the right things. But behind the know. scenes, at the yeah, end of the day, they're just any, trying to make money. I don't know if anyone believes that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of things that came out about the different bank policies and procedures. Right. So I think that that kind of charades long gone. Interesting times. But so. there are a lot of, a lot more, you know, to the point about lending is the growth in the secondary lending market has has been strong. I mean, there's all sorts of different reports that are showing the growth and in, in people that because of the mortgage stress test can't get money there, they're going for other funds elsewhere um, in private money or whatever else, whatever other lenders are available. So that's, that's you know, the, and whether the government saw that coming or not, but they must have seen it coming. It, it's kind of like an, a little bit of an unintended consequence because it's not really that great. People are still going for the funds. Now they're paying higher interest higher, rates. And the terms on those mortgages are usually tough. A lot of them tough. suck. Yeah. yeah so, so it's not, you know, in a lot of ways, it hasn't really helped people. And then in a lot of ways, it's actually hurt people because the affordable housing that's available, like, like these types of changes that they put in place, a lot of them really hurt hurt the entry level market like the people that they were trying to help are the ones that they've ended up hurting because of the supply issues that have become available yeah you know that, that, that have happened like the lack of, of supply Sorry, yeah yeah so it's um and you know what i think i just want to be clear if you're if you're listening to this and you're like in your 20s or in your 40s or 50s and you haven't got started just understand and what i i mean uh got started i mean in real estate um understand that like Nick, when we started this business, people were getting um, interest rates at like five point something. Remember, 4.85 was like getting high. Somebody got like five and a quarter when we were starting off yeah. in interest rates. Higher Way back when we started, it was higher. Um, it's normal. There's always ways to make money in real estate. It's just you sometimes have to kind of get creative and think outside of what you see in the headlines in the newspapers. But don't let any of these things that we're discussing today think that you can't get started or you can't succeed. You totally can and you should. It just sometimes changes the strategy or the approach that you're going to use. It doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean that, you know, the good times are over by any means. And it, and may, it's and more, it might be more important than ever to get into hard yeah. assets. And it might mean in, in the short term, the numbers are crappier than they were like maybe in the short term before you could actually make a little bit of money more consistently whereas now the numbers just really suck in the short term and you, the, the, the money is in the long yeah. term which it always was but i just mean it's even in the short term they're just not even you know maybe it just makes no but after land transfer tax and 
fees and all that stuff. And you're just like, man, this doesn't make any sense in the short term, which is, which is great because that's almost a, it gives you a leg up because so many people are only focused on the short term. When you look at the long term, you right away you ex, you you kind of almost I don't want to say rise above because it's degrading, but that that's almost what I mean. Like those people will just focus on that; they'll never make the move. It allows you to take advantage of the opportunities that are there. Totally. Right. So, Everything we've ever seen, it's been the, the long run. There was that book, Top 10 Distinctions Between Millionaires. And, and the Middle Class. It's a short little book. I forget little... the author's name. I'm it was good. If I have it here. It was really good. It was a good little book. It but one of, the, one of the things they, they did, which, which makes sense, is the middle class, you know, the, the, the wealthy always focus on the long term and the middle class focuses on the short term. And it's so true. Like I see it from the people that I speak to and from the, you know, the people that really kind of make it not just in real estate and other things in business, whatever else, everything else they're doing that when you're in it for the long game, it makes the biggest difference. That was one of the things in the book that always stood out to me. I don't know. I forget who that guy was and why he was able to write that book, but, uh, but it was a good little, it's just, it's one of those short books that you literally just makes you sit back and think and you're like, Hmm. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? You can just see it when you're talking to people. Like I talked to some, I was having a discussion on the weekend of someone who put 0% down on a property. This was back in the day when we used to get the sellers to pay for closing costs. Remember yeah, that, those that days? Was awesome. So it was 0% down. We negotiated the seller pay for their closing costs. So it was really zero. And they were complaining about the cash flow that they got on the property. And I'm like, wait a second, you bought this property for zero money down, like literally zero because you put 0% down payment and we got the sellers to pay for your closing costs. How can you complain about the cash flow? Like they were so focused on like the present moment that I, they didn't see the big picture that like if they just hold this property for some time, they got an infinite return because they put 0% down and their return is infinite. Yeah, like you just, you, you you're missing the obvious, right? So uh, yeah, big picture thinking all the time. Anything else, Nick, that we want to share? I think we covered what we wanted to talk about. Yeah, those are the kind of the, the, the low hanging fruit for now. I'm sure there'll be other stuff that pops up. All right, cool. We'll be back soon. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode with me and Nick bantering back and forth. Um, if you want any real estate related information, you go to rockstarinnercircle.com and you'll find a whole bunch of blog posts and access to different videos, our training class, um, three different digital books that we offer you can download there. So rockstarinnercircle.com has a ton of Canadian specific real estate information. Um, and if you have any ideas or guest suggestions for this podcast, you can email podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. So that's podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. We are grateful for everything that comes our way. If you've already given us a review on iTunes, thank you so much. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review and you think we deserve it, it thrills us when we get those. And it really is a feedback mechanism we use for keep uh, for to, to keep doing these. So if you could do that, we'd truly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, and we have a bunch of guests signed up over the next few weeks. We have about five podcasts booked coming your way. So stay tuned. We have a lot more. Thanks for all the feedback so far. And we'll talk to you soon. Until next time, your life, your terms.